why can't we think about what we're faced against right now, climate change, as a World War C? Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is December 13th. I'm Eric Planey. I am Lucas Finko. And together, we are the outraged, I mean outraged, <laughs> outraged. pirates of clean tech. Yar. Yar. Lucas, how are you today? I'm good. Is it is it time for our emergency podcast? We're having an emergency. I, I don't know if it's an emergency podcast, but you know what? There's a couple of things I think we need to talk about before we go into the articles. First of which, really, our heartfelt condolences to the people of Kentucky, Arkansas, Illinois, and that whole region that suffered horrible losses, both you know in terms of people being lost in property and destruction from the the, tor- the cataclysmic tornadoes that took place. And um, we never want to politicize tragedy like that. But the reality is, I think it's going to be somewhat proven that tornadoes of that magnitude to occur in December in that part of the United States at that velocity and that, you know, just absolute terrible in terms of size is due to climate change. And let's just put it all out there that if there isn't reasons that are so apparent why we need to be tackling and fighting climate change right now, this is certainly one of them. Yep, I agree with you. I did see a paper that specifically showed intensification in that area uh, due to climate change. So there is some scientific basis for that. And uh, yeah, it just hastens the need for us to to be diligent and get to work and do something about climate change, right? That's right. And you know, to all the first responders, we ask you to please be safe. Uh, Lucas and I really have, a, we really care about the utility workers that are out there that will be out there probably for weeks now, if not months, repairing the infrastructure uh, to the, you know, I heard AT&T to give them a shout out, you know, had two cell towers rebuilt and operational over the weekend so that loved ones can get in contact with family members. Uh, so to our first responders, we say thank you and please be safe. And really our thoughts and prayers are, are for the whole people of the region. Yeah. And remember if there's a wire down, don't touch it. And if there's no caution tape around it, uh, it means you still got to call it in. So please call it in um, to either your local utility or number one, and they can handle that. That's right. And I think uh, lastly, I'm just going to say, you know, organizations like the Red Cross are, I'm sure, available right now, accepting donations for people in the area. You know, it's the holidays, which just makes it even worse uh, for the suffering that has taken place. So, you know, God bless the people of that, of that region. And uh, we're, we're yep. definitely thinking about you. But, you know, um, again, we kind of joked about some outrage out there, but uh, over the last couple of days, it was interesting. A few days ago, I got into a LinkedIn conversation <laughs> with somebody who is an engineer for an integrated oil and gas company. I won't say which name. Um, it's a name that actually a company that has done a good amount of work to convert some of their resources into clean tech investment. So I'm not going to say that name and disparage them. But this engineer was lamenting the fact that almost like the oil and gas companies are now almost feeling bullied to some extent that they need to be moving faster and converting their significant resources into addressing climate change. And he wasn't saying it with really like a a sense of anger or frustration, maybe a little bit of frustration. Um, But in my response to him in the argument, it really got me thinking that if, and we've talked about this, Lucas, you and I many times, that we need the oil and gas companies to come on board to address climate change because of their significant financial resources, but also their technical and engineering capabilities. They are the ones that can really move the needle to us to get to our 2050 climate change, Paris Climate Accord targets. 
But in terms of thinking about it, I thought when he was lamenting about how fast they are being asked to change, it really reminded me of what this great country did during World War II to convert our industrial complex to a military industrial complex to make the, the war machine that helped us defeat the tyranny of Nazism and fascism in World War II. And if it wasn't for that incredible change, which all of our enemies in the Axis underestimated our abilities to crank out ships and planes and tanks, to utilize women in the manufacturing workforce who did incredible things with little job training uh, and make such a quality product, we were able to mobilize this country to face, uh, face World War II and its, uh, its tragedy on the human condition. Why can't we look at climate change in the same exact way? Why do we have to wait for it to get so bad that we utilize resources at the last minute? Why can't we think about what we're faced against right now with climate change as a World War C? You know, there was the movie World War Z, I think it was about zombies. Why can't we have World War climate? And this time, we actually don't have other nations that are our enemy. Everybody is on the same change. We're actually facing and fighting the human condition and human engineering from the past. And we're fighting it with new technology and resiliency and compassion. Why can't we think of it that way? Yeah. I mean, that's a beautiful way to think about it, right? That we're, you know, combating past kind of assumptions, right? We made assumptions that we could pollute into the air and never have any consequences, right? Um, which was true for for over, you know, well, millennia, for thousands of years, uh, until we got to a point where the pollution was just too much, right? And so you're right. We can... We don't have to defeat this by hurting anyone. We can defeat it by new technologies and doing things a different way. So that's right. That's We're actually way to think about it. Yeah, that's right. We're actually preventing people from being uh, by being hurting, by being hurt, by suffering. Because right now, if this doesn't, if this keeps occurring, you're going to have more tornadoes in December in Kentucky. You're going to have more lung conditions and lung disorders in parts of the third world that are still burning, you know, fossil fuels without any check on environmental considerations. World War C is about fighting our past sins and getting past those so we can mobilize resources, especially with global integrated oil and gas companies coming on board with us, not as an adversary, but as an ally. The capability is out there. The ingenuity is out there. And we've talked about such incredible ingenuity. You know, uh, it's not one of our stories, but I know Siemens Gamesa is testing a 14 megawatt offshore wind turbine in Denmark. I saw that as a story. These are incredible things that are taking place. And now why can't we just mobilize it and take what took place at COP26 and convert speeches into action? Yeah. Well, I just don't want people to misunderstand what we're saying too. And I don't want people to see it as a war on polluters or pollution, because I think we all share a part in that, right? So if you use electricity, there's some portion of that electricity is causing pollution, right? So, I don't, we don't want to frame it that way, right? We want to frame it as, as long as we move towards, you know, less uh, tragedy of the commons and more new technologies that don't pollute the commons, then we're winning this war, right? Yep, I agree with that. And, you know, even my, I look at my personal life and, and our family life, and there are things that we can always be doing better, right? You know, I think my biggest sin is still using you know, one use plastic disposable bottles. I try to be a little bit better about it, but I'm still not there quite yet. You know, everybody could be doing something better. So you're right. Let's look at the positive aspect of what we're trying to accomplish. But I think we need to have some sort of jargon that really mobilizes people 
And I think the idea of calling it a World War C of some sort is, is the way to do it. And if you don't believe in our capability to do it, there's a great book that was called The Arsenal of Democracy. I believe it talked about Ford being able to get rid of their manufacturing to start cranking out B-24s and how fast they are able to, you know, take their assembly operations. You know, it's not easy to go from making cars to making bombers, but our industrial complex was able to do it once. So why couldn't we do the same to make better wind turbines, more powerful solar farms, biomass, nuclear, all the things that we've talked about, but to do it faster and better. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It won't be easy, but it can be done and we've shown it can be done. So yeah, there's nothing stopping us. Right. Right. So if you're listening to our podcast and we thank you for doing that, I would say, don't be angry about what we're saying. Don't get fired up in anger, get fired up in commitment. And if you get fired up in commitment and you take it the positive approach, people are going to listen to you. There's too much anger and resentment in our politics in our country right now. Yeah. Let's just look at this positively. And thankfully, we have a couple articles that talk about how people are addressing climate change. And again, removing the red state, blue state argument from it. And they're looking at it as very holistically. Yeah, I think we have one article on that, right? <laughs> yeah, one article. Two, maybe two. Okay. 1.5 articles. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Before we, get into our, before we get into our articles, I uh, quickly just want to say the views and opinions expressed by Lucas and I are those solely of ourselves and not necessarily of any organizations we may be affiliated with. Furthermore, any uh, public companies we talk about or their products and technology is not an implicit recommendation one way or the other regarding the securities sold in the public market by those companies. Do your diligence, folks. Talk to, talk to a registered financial consultant about any investments you want to make in the clean tech sector. Yep. And as always, you can find us uh, on YouTube. We, we're the Pirates of Clean Tech. I think you can search for that on YouTube and you'll find all our episodes. You click the subscribe button. That helps us out. And you can also hit the like button uh, if you like what you hear. And then we're also on your favorite podcast venue, podcast site, whatever site you use. I think a lot of people use Apple Podcasts. We're on there. You search for the Pirates of Clean Tech and then you can subscribe to us there also. Fantastic. So let's, should we hit the article? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Who wants, you want to go first, Lucas? I could go first if you want. Yeah, you don't go first very often, so. All right. Let's get your utility dive story of the week out of the way. <laughs> I don't know if I have utility dive. Uh, I don't have utility dive this week. What? No, 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 no. No, no. Okay, so some local news first. New York finalizes contracts for a transmission project featuring 1.8 gigawatts of solar. This is from Jules Scully. December 2nd uh, over here at pvtech.org, which is a pv-tech.org, which is a great site for uh, PV-related news. So here's a giant community solar project in upstate New York. Uh, it turns out upstate New York has a lot of resources as far as clean tech goes, like solar uh, and wind. And so they would love to build more solar and wind upstate, but there's not enough transmission lines to get it down to the large population centers in, in lower New York, like New York City and Long Island. So we have to run transmission lines, which turn out to be uh, very difficult. So actually the state of New York has a pr finally proved uh, some transmission lines. These are gonna be underground transmission lines. So there's less of an objection to them. They're not an eyesore. Uh, so New York authorities have finalized contracts for $11 billion in infrastructure, comprising 1.8 gigawatts of solar, two gigawatts of wind, uh, and also 174 mile underground transmission lines. So this is fantastic news. 
this is in addition to the Champlain Hudson line, which is also going through. I did have to go over to uh, S&P to get a map of these two projects. So here's the uh, Champlain Hudson Power Express, the one that we know uh, has been being built for how long now from Hydro-Quebec down to New York City. And then the other one here is the Clean Path New York. This is the new one. So very happy to see this. This is a great progress. I'd love to see more renewables, more transmission lines. This is more of what we need to make the clean transition work. Yeah, great article. I'm very proud as a New York resident to see this happening. Um, I probably have a few, I don't know, conflicts of interest, but obviously I'm at the helm of a, a solar and construction tech company that complements and competes with a lot of solar farms out there. That being said, it's an all of the above solution that we need. And New York has both the the real estate for large uh, solar farms and also the transmission is very, very important. It's great to see this transmission to get to a population dense area like New York City, which couldn't have solar farms, you know, uh, in Central Park, for example. It just can't, it's not feasible. So uh, again, I think New York is one of those five or six states in in the United States has taken upon themselves to be a catalyst to show other states in, you know, throughout the rest of the country that it can be done. And great, great article here. Yep. More transmission lines benefit every renewable in the area. So that's really good. And it's uh, the fact that the second one here, the clean path is an underground, uh, really pretty amazing. You just don't talk about underground transmission that much. Everyone thinks about big overhead power lines that you can hold fluorescent lights underneath and, and, you know, it looks like it generates the power on (laughs) But, you know, underground is a solution, too, and it can be done cost-effectively and smartly. Yeah, and it messes your AM radio when you drive under it. That's really annoying. I hate that. Anyhow, this uh, next article from Bakersfield.com, which is interesting, not a, not a major news, uh, uh, national news source. ExxonMobil earns a D- minus on midterm report card from Coalition United for Responsible Exxon. That's Cure. This comes from the Coalition United for a Responsible Exxon which I believe is a group of uh, shareholders trying to change ExxonMobil and make them more uh, renewable and sustainable. So they gave them a D minus for failing to make tangible progress on targets set by shareholders uh, from this year's meeting. Uh, so this is great. If you want to know the battle going on for ExxonMobil's investment dollars, uh, this is it. So if you want details on this, uh, you can read these. And the great thing is, they don't, this isn't just a complaining document. This isn't a headbutting document. They actually give some suggestions as to what to do and what they want to see. So they show, so Exxon currently has a goal of decreasing its absolute emissions by 20% by 2030. Okay, so that is just a tiny amount in nine years. So they're not very impressed with this. It falls far short of the science-based target initiative criteria, which states that we need 4.2% uh, emissions reductions per year. Their number is about 1.4%, so it's far, far short. Uh, the 4.2 gets you to 1.5 degrees. 2.5% reductions would get you to a 2 degrees target. So they're way under any target that people are discussing, right? So they want them to do a lot more. So here's their recommended actions. Uh, they recommend these actions be taken immediately. Now, these are their recommendations that are mine. So all complaints go to them <laughs> if you have any complaints. <laughs> Appoint an independent board chair. Okay, so the chairman's got to go. Uh, 
Replace the current CEO. Okay, the CEO is going to go. <laughs> Set a net zero by 2050 target. Wow. Establish a coherent decarbonization strategy with 5% reductions per year over the next decade. Woo. Publicly disclose these milestones and annual reporting against these targets. Fantastic. Provide new executives with incentive package to achieve the greenhouse gas targets. Whoa. This stuff is just great. Align com- with the CA 100 plus. Go ahead. No, it's common sense. It's great to see it. Here we go. We're going to talk about this a little more. Halt all lobbying and dark money going to climate denial and anti-clean energy legislation, which if you don't know about this, just wait five minutes and we'll get into it. Uh, two additional directors, right? They want two additional directors. They must disclose the criteria used to discern energy, industry, and climate experience and uh, the names of the book credits and appoint them no later than February 1st, 2022. Exxon, I'm available, by the way. Um, yeah, so this is great. I mean, every oil and gas integrated or company out there can look at this as a guideline for what to do. Um, you know, it's, it's obvious from their targets that they have no interest in meeting the goals that we need to meet. And so it's great to see them set out uh, recommendations like this. Yeah. Well, first off, I think we have to clarify something. This is not the band called The Cure recommending, <laughs> which although I think The Cure probably would be on board with it, which then you can have a subgroup organization, The Cure for The Cure. Cure for The Cure. Yeah, sure. But uh, jokes aside, this is exactly the type of positive roadmap making that we need. And I really liked your point about this isn't a bunch of just like, you know, whiny board activists out there. These are people who said, look, here's the problem. And here's a solution to it. This is what we want to see. And, you know, the fact is we are a capitalist society, capitalist country. So we don't need to be purely socialist in order to achieve clean target goals. And aligning board and executive incentives to our 1.5 degree uh, aligned greenhouse gas targets, that is the essence of what ESG is supposed to be, right? right? So a company like Exxon and BP and Shell, they can easily modify their incentives for both board and key executives to have these types of targets in there. This is brilliant. So great article. Um, it's let's We're going to keep following this and we'll keep updating the public about where this is going. Yeah. So if you think, uh, you know, this stuff doesn't make sense, it's a bunch of ballyhoo, they're just complaining. This is it. This is your roadmap. These are the things that need to be done um, if you're an oil and gas company. So I mentioned we were going to talk about this dark money. What is this dark money? It sounds like a conspiracy theory. Um, okay, so if you think that's a bunch of ballyhoo. So here we go. This article is from The Intercept, which is kind of known for having great like exposés, right? Uh, in-depth reporting, deep investigations into things. So here's their article. Oilback Group opposes offshore wind for environmental reasons. This is exactly what I expect from The uh, Intercept. Local think tanks that previously supported offshore drilling have engaged in a wide-ranging campaign to stop the expansion of offshore wind farms. This is from Li Fang, December 2nd, just a couple of days ago. So it talks about uh, some local property owners in Delaware and Maryland sent a letter from Save Our Beach View asking neighbors to lobby local politicians against offshore wind farms, right? And it turns out uh, if you dig into who the author was, you know, the letter signed by a local resident, 
but it made no mention of who actually wrote the letter. It was the Cesar Rodney Institute, a libertarian think tank. Uh, at the time, was funded by the oil industry. Okay, and so it turns out that they are funded by some oil and gas industry groups. Yeah, here we go. So here the group does not voluntarily disclose donor information, but grant information from 2019 shows that the Institute was financially supported by the American Energy Alliance. Uh, The AEA is funded by the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, an oil refinery trade group, as well as the Stand Together Chamber of Commerce business group founded in part by Coke Industries. So these are oil and gas companies that funded through at least two intermediaries an anti-wind farm campaign that they got local residents to sign. So basically this is exactly what those uh, active shareholders at Cure are talking about when they talk about dark money. Dark money meaning you try and obfuscate its source by funneling it through multiple intermediaries. And anti-climate, which is what this is, right? They're trying to get rid of clean energy by using some other method, which they've obfuscated the origin from because they, they don't want it eating into their profits. So there you go. Feel free to read deeper into this article and find out exactly how it worked. Um, and so if you don't believe this is true, you know, here's, here's all the evidence you need. Yeah, I mean, uh, the reality is there is still, even with public sentiment changing towards clean energy, there are just people who are holding on to the past and the lobbying effort is filled with deep-pocketed companies and individuals that come up with these, you know, just ridiculous, non-transparent ways for the general public to feel threatened by the, the clean tech sector. Uh, one thing that makes me laugh, and I don't even mean to be joking about this, when you look at the letterhead for Save Our Oceans, if you scroll down, I don't know about you, but I look at that letterhead, I look at the, the logo, and I think that's one of the prettiest logos. It looks, <laughs> it looks like a wind turbine should be there on the ocean. Yeah. And so, like, they don't even know how to, like, be effective anymore in trying to convince and scare people. But, you know, the fact is, when you use social media in a positive way, when you use the internet in a positive way, you're going to find the causes or the root um, funders, if you will, of these initiatives. And it always comes back to this dark money, as you talked about. So I personally think that we are just, you know, going to have this noisy type of resistance to clean energy funding uh, for the next, you know, several years, but those several years are very important. The more we wait in order to fund clean energy projects like offshore wind, the worse it's going to be for us to hit our climate targets and the more we are screwed as a global society. So anyone who's a consumer, if you get one of these letters or your family gets letters, please scrutinize it and ask the question to the person that sent it to you, where does the money ultimately come from? Always mm-hmm. follow the money. And we are all smart enough and we all have the abilities at our fingertips with the internet to find out where this money is coming from. Yeah, that's good advice. That's great. Well, that was my soapbox, Eric. I've, I feel better now. I, you should feel better. These are great articles and we're just getting it out there. So are you done? Yeah, I'm all done. All right. So um, I've got a mix of some positive and I got a mix of like, you know, some political as well. Okay. So why don't we go to the Toyota article first? All right. Uh, quick again, once again, uh, I have a vested interest in the uh, future of solid state batteries. So let me get that out of the way. So take that with a grain of salt. December 6th of 2021 in carbuzz.com, 
Again, another publication that we don't talk about uh, in terms of clean tech or EV, but they're following EV, which again is fantastic. Toyota hybrids will get solid state batteries first, December 6th by Martin Big in the electric vehicle section. The company plans on only selling zero emission vehicles in Western Europe by 2035. So Toyota, quite honestly, is a little bit behind the BEV game, the battery electric vehicle game, partially because of the success of their hybrids. They got, you know, rested a little bit. They didn't think the industry was going to move so fast to going to all battery electric. But Toyota is catching up quickly, again, because here's a company with great engineering resources, deep financial resources. They have the capacity to do so. What I love about this is they're being very, very smart. Solid state batteries are not 100% proven in the market yet. The technology is moving in the right direction. There's been a lot of tie-ups recently. There's a lot of uh, venture capital money flowing in the solid state batteries. What Toyota is doing that I think is really smart is field testing the development of solid state by using them in hybrid vehicles and not straight out BEVs. I think that's brilliant. Um, you know, we talk about Factorial Energy, who is a friend of ours and I have a personal stake in. Uh, is mentioned in here as receiving some investment dollars and collaboration from Hyundai, Stellantis, Mercedes. But, you know, Toyota is an innovator and Toyota is one of the three or four OEMs that just knows how to push the envelope in terms of technology. So I'm really happy to see this. Um, I think their first dedicated uh, EV, the BZ4X, is going to come out uh, not for a couple of years still, but their plug-in hybrid and their hybrid vehicles uh, are all coming to market very quickly. So great article. Love seeing Cool. Yeah, this is great to see. You know, it really makes me wonder if they can like leapfrog the competition, right? By skipping over early adopters and maybe some early mistakes made in the industry. I won't mention any. <laughs> I won't mention any, but you know, they get to leapfrog over all that and learn from that. And then, you know, just jump to, to batteries that perform really well. So it might be, end up being a masterstroke by them. We'll see. We'll have to see. You know, and the other thing too, and I've just talked to a good friend about this a couple of days ago who uh, uh, he and his wife are both buying plug-in hybrid vehicles. You know, plug-in hybrids are an incredible solution uh, and any hybrid vehicle is an incredible solution right now while the charging infrastructure gets built out. By buying a plug-in hybrid, you are still supporting the electric vehicle industry, but you're not inconveniencing yourself with range anxiety, range issues, charging issues. Yes, it's still going to have some gasoline in there. It's going to be using gasoline. But that's okay. Just off uh, side a little bit this morning, I was watching one of the latest episodes of Motor Week, the great PBS show, and they talked about Jeep's, Jeep Wrangler's new uh, plug-in hybrid. They talked about Volvo's new plug-in electric hybrid. These are great cars. They're not cheap, but they're also, you know, they will lead to the game-changer revolution of being full-on battery electrics. And I think Solid State will be a part of that. You know, they mentioned here too the uh, nickel metal hydride battery, which I had previously invested in. Um, and I didn't understand why it didn't take off more. I mean, it's it's half the cost. And, you know, it's cheaper to produce, uses fewer precious minerals. So, you know, there's some technology solutions here that I wish we would uh, see more of. So it's great to see uh, Toyota getting into that. So Right. And we've told many of you out there that if you don't want to, uh, you don't feel comfortable buying a BEV just quite yet, then really look at a hybrid vehicle for your next purchase. And you're going to feel like you're contributing to uh, climate, you know, fighting climate change and you're doing so in a very sustainable way. Yeah. It's a massive way to reduce your emissions uh, in an easy, easy way that you, and you don't have to change anything about your driving habits. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Great story. So um, next up uh, New York times. Uh, I think this was from a couple of days ago. Can't remember. Earth is getting a black box to hold humans accountable for climate change. 
this is just one of those things that cracked me up when I saw it, but I really liked where it was going. This is by uh, Livia Albeck Ripka from uh, December 9th, so just a couple days ago. But uh, as I have family that's been in the aviation technology business for a long time, so when I see black box, I always, my ears pick up. But effectively in Australia, which was a part of the world that I think was late to come on board about understanding climate change, but now recently seems to be all in uh, with some really innovative type of projects uh, in coming to fruition. There are a group of scientists and entrepreneurs that are going to build a black box, which is going to be a data recorder of global climate change. And I just think that this is a fascinating concept because first off, in terms of raising awareness, there's a little bit of a scare factor here, but I think an appropriate one. It's talking about scientists that feel they have a responsibility to build such a data management so that as time goes on, they can understand where exactly we went wrong as a society. But they're not trying to say that we're doomed and that, you know, <laughs> when aliens come in the future, that they're going to be looking for the black box for the, the planet. No. But what it's saying is it's going to be a repository for people to understand all the issues needed with climate change. And I think, you know, true scientific analysis is really about data collection and dissemination. And having this type of central repository kind of spun as a black box is really something innovative and cool. So it's a great little story. I totally recommend reading it. Um, you know, there's some justification why they're going to put it in Tasmania, uh, which, you know, has some kind of geo, very good reasons uh, from a geology standpoint, the stability there, et cetera. Really cool story. Yeah, cool. Actually, I've thought about this kind of thing before, and I've often thought about, I may go off the deep end here, but I've thought about what if there was an advanced civilization on the earth before, and they tried to do something like this, and they left us something, uh, would we know what it is? Would we know how to read it? So, yeah, I've actually thought about this, and this is a great idea, so really cool to see. Yeah, you'll, let's get to our, and, uh, let's get to our last story, then we can maybe okay. talk a little bit more about <laughs> analysis, because... We're on a roll today. We're on yeah. a roll today. All right. Okay. Uh, e News.net, again, uh, from their Climate Wire. Uh, just something that really kind of popped my eye when I saw it on scrolling the internet. Nebraska decarbonization vote was years in the making. This is by Adam Atten from uh, December 10th. You know, here's a great story. There are three utilities in the state of Nebraska. Nebraska is politically a red state. And all three of those utilities have now committed to a net zero emissions goal by 2050. And I just absolutely love that. And what it just talked about was people in Nebraska are very cognizant. They have a great relationship with their climate, with their ecosystem. And so they recognize that climate change is not a blue thing. It's not a red thing. It's a human condition thing. And so, you know, they're talking about the largest utility, the heavily rural and let's focus rural Nebraska power uh, public power district. They voted nine to two to aim for net zero emissions uh, in their own generation within their own um, power grid. That is fantastic. And then the other two, the Omaha public power district and the Lincoln electric system made similar or even more aggressive goals. I love that because Nebraska is a very rural state. It has a lot of agriculture. They firsthand, the farmers are seeing the impact of climate change they're the ones that are on the front lines of adapting in order for them to survive in terms of running their farms and running their ag tech systems. So um, for them to just have their utilities fall in line and, and go to fight climate change with net zero targets by 2050 is something I think they really deserve the shout out for. We love to talk about the East Coast and West Coast, but a lot of the changes has to take place in the heartland. Yep, they have great wind resource there, right? So in the middle of the country, 
There's not a lot of mountains. There's not a lot of trees. The wind just blows right through. So they're known for the wind. So they have great wind resource. Uh, Malta's interested to see the net zero designation still. So we talked about, you know, the end of the early transition, moving into the middle transition. There's going to come a point where everybody has a net zero target and they're counting on somebody else to net them out. Uh, And if everybody has a net zero target, that's not going to happen, right? So we're going to see things get complicated here when they start trying to implement these. We're going to see things start to quote unquote break. And that's when we're really going to have to get down to the meat of making this happen. So it, it sounds like good news, but we're going to have to batten down the hatches and really start to work on attacking climate change when these things come up. So prepare yourself, <laughs> be ready. The battle is only going to get tougher from here until we get over the hump. We're, we're still going up the hump. So we still got a lot ahead of us. It's going to get tougher but stay with us and, and we'll get there. And I, you brought up a really good point, especially about everybody calculating what net zero means. But what I like is if everybody makes a net zero commitment today, the faster we get to those types yes. of what I call good problems, Correct. the faster they get resolved. And the more meaningful, you know, maybe 30, 35 year span we have of true climate change action taking place right. that actually keeps us to our 2050 1.5 degree target. Correct. Those are the actions that are painful that we have to take and we need to get there as fast as possible. You're exactly correct. You know, maybe for our next episode, one thing I thought about a lot over the weekend was it's about a year ago that Princeton came out with that incredible study. That was the roadmap, if you will, for how our country and I think even globally can get to the targets we need to. I'd like to review that again, because it goes to your point. If everyone comes up with net zero targets, what does that really mean? But we actually had some great architects a year ago, write that roadmap. And maybe we even try and get somebody from Princeton on to talk about it because they probably fell out of the news since it's a year old, but we really want to keep those types of data and that type of research in the news for people to use as a guide star. Yeah. I'll go down there and see if we can get somebody. Yeah. It's in your neighborhood. Yeah. There's a great Princeton record exchange, great record shop. I totally recommend. (laughs) I'm sure they have some great bookstores down there too. Yeah. Well, those are my articles. Um, Oh yeah. You know, I think between being fired up about what happened in Kentucky, uh, you know, which is uh, our feeling about this discussion I got in LinkedIn. But one other thing that happened to me a lot over the weekend, I just happened to watch a lot of TV and a lot of press about space exploration. You know, um, uh, 60 Minutes had a great piece about the new web telescope that's being launched this week. Uh, uh, one of the best TV shows in the history of mankind is called Nova on PBS. And they talked about the history of our galaxies and all the scientific research uh, associated with that. I'm a big believer in space exploration and and space science, because I think it actually has ramifications for understanding our own planet and understanding climate change as well. So, you know, there's a lot of positive things happening. We need to address, you know, kind of shout them out a little bit more, but at the same time, we need to mobilize as a global society. And I think really it's World War C. Yeah. I I love that concept. Let's try to get WWC trending. Let's try and make sure people understand what that means, that it's about moving forward, that it's about mobilizing, it's about taking action. Um, you know, it's not about demonizing or attacking other people. So, yeah, let's all get together. Let's see if we can get that trending. Yeah. Yeah. We're all about trending because we've never really had it happen to us. <laughs> Please, God. We want to trend just once, man. Just once. <laughs> Someday. 
Well, I think it was a great episode. Uh, we'll get back to maybe having a guest or two. We have the holidays coming up. Maybe we'll do something special for the holidays like we did last year. But um, yeah. just want to say thank you to our listeners and our viewers. You guys motivate us by your feedback. Uh, an old colleague of mine, uh, Chris, reached out to me last week and complimented our episode. And when you get those types of uh, texts and emails, it's really appreciated by both of us. Yeah. And a colleague of mine, Tim, also reached out and complimented us. So that means a lot to us. So please, you know, like our videos, subscribe, help us kiss guests. If you know good guests, let us know. And yeah, we, we love talking to you guys and we love talking about clean tech. That's why we're here. You know, we'd do it if there were two people watching. So we're going to stay here and keep doing this. So yeah. And to those two people that normally watch us, thank you so much. <laughs> Well, we didn't we didn't do a beer of the week because we're taping midday today, and we actually you know have lives that we, careers we have to take care of. So uh, we'll get back to our favorite. Maybe we'll do a holiday brew next week. Uh, we'll do a holiday episode and maybe talk about our favorite Christmas ale. Yeah, make it a deal. There you go. Well, with that, it's uh, thank you again, everybody. I'm Eric Planey. I am Lucas Finko. We are the Pi- Pirates of Clean Tech. Hey, are har har har. har, har.